Filmmaker Commentary, episode 128. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to another episode of Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I'm joined with KCG Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. And today we're talking about Big Trouble in Little China, 1986, directed by John Carpenter. He also did the music, didn't he? Yes, he did. This uh, movie <laughs> won, what, what award? It was the winner of, in the Urban Action Showcase, Martial Arts Cult Classic Cinemas Award. For Peter Kwong and Leah Chang. And then it was nominated for a Saturn Award uh, for Best Music with John Carpenter. How did this movie perform at the box office and what was the budget? So Big Trouble in Little China came in with an estimated budget of $25 million. One of the largest budgets at the time that John Carpenter had worked with. And then at the box office, unfortunately, both domestically and worldwide came out to just $11 million, once again on a $25 million budget. Wow. But it found its legs ultimately in home release. Yeah. I, I know I first watched it on HBO, and, and it's, I mean, it's become a cult classic. I mean, I, For sure. I, you know, anybody I mention it to, they say, oh, you know, they, they, they enjoyed it. So, oh, yeah. And even as generations now come across it, they seem to enjoy it as well. I didn't didn't make it at the box office. I'm going to talk some more maybe as to why a little bit later on. Yeah, man. Um, I wish more of the revenue, like they like to talk about box office, but I I pretty much, I guarantee this made $100 million just over the life of its movie because I was looking it up. Nineteen ninety nine for a Blu-ray. Um, of course, it made all its money on VHS, whatever the VH, uh, VHS was, you know, selling for at the time throughout the 80s and 90s and then DVD, then cable licensing, and then now you can uh, you can watch it right now on Stars. That's a licensing agreement right there. Exactly. In the commentary, I know that John, John and Kirk mentioned that you know had <laughs> hadn't seen any checks, like right? Hadn't seen any additional <laughs> any additional funds come from it because you know they can work that accounting to uh-huh. make it look like oh well, oh we got these losses, but they didn't spend that much on the the advertising budget. I think was about three, yeah, right, uh, three mil or three point five mil, mm-hmm. uh, which at the time wasn't wasn't much. No, um, and and those times it was like a policy, you know, they was like the policy not to spend over a certain amount, whereas now it's n- not even unheard of for the marketing budget to be more than actual production budget of the film. Got to cut through the noise. Oh, my goodness. So and people are just more savvy these days when it comes to because the studios now they're just hiring straight up business people. Oh, yeah. Uh, but before we talk further about big trouble in little China, let's talk about news and movies watched. So in the news, according to a variety, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness has the potential to be the biggest opening weekend of 2022. Okay. So it's already, I think, sitting at, as of Friday night, I think it was around 100 mil. Mm-hmm. So it's looking to eclipse the the Batman's numbers and 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 do even better. So I did want to see it. Uh, just haven't found the time to go watch it yet. I saw it last night. Oh, we'll okay. Talk some more about that a little uh, later. Okay. Also, according to E Online, comedian Dave Chappelle breaks his silence about the onstage attack during his secret stand-up show at the Hollywood Bowl yeah. this week. 
Man, did you see like all the back reports from that when you know people is reporting on it, or just like the footage of Dave Chappelle? Like, <laughs> he was like, I, 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 Carl sent me the yes, the yeah. link. Uh, the dude run to attack him and uh, like, you know, Dave is beefed up and put on some size over, right. over the years. It's not easy to push down now. No, because even in slow motion, as the guy is charging towards him, and when Dave sees him a split second before, Dave has just enough time to kind of brace himself. Yeah. And even then when the guy hits him, it's a it's a weak ass tackle. Like he <laughs> makes almost no traction. And, I was like, wow. and, and Dave is not really even going down. It's not until towards the end. Just the like guy his mic did fills down, right? Yeah, like fell towards his legs or maybe he tripped on the cable, but I don't think it was the inertia of the guy yeah. to knock him over. But I just that afterwards when Dave's like, Thank God that was clumsy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They, He's in the back getting stomped now. Oh my god, they jacked him up pretty badly, man. It uh, and to see the footage of them going back there, like ah, it's like a movie, like just mm. getting jumped by a gang or something. In my in my in my opinion, if you get on stage uninvited at yeah. any given event, you you deserve what you get. Yeah, especially yeah. you go with the intent to attack. Yeah, you deserve self defense at that point. Right? Exactly, you deserve exactly what you get because you 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 are. Going with more than likely malintent. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, he he, atta- he 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 went to tackle Dave, and he had a knife for him. So you yeah. get what you and get. And a replica son. gun. That's it's crazy because they said that guy was homeless. But it's like, if you're homeless, dude, like why are you up front? One of the most expensive seats. Like it's not easy to get up on this stage, yeah. and it's a Netflix show too. Mm. It's uh, there's a lot of questions there. Uh, did you hear uh, Chris Rock was like, was that Will Smith? What? <laughs> no, I didn't. Yes, yeah, Chris Rock. He gets on the mic and says, that. "Was this Will Smith?" You know that's that's a problem. I mean, hey, you know it's this that's his time to uh, take take his take take your shot, Chris. I ain't mad at you. Take take your shot. Real talk. Um, wow, that's funny. So yeah, Dave. Uh, he said afterwards that his uh, his son came up to him and told him they loved him and gave him a gave him a hug. So, and as Chappelle says that uh, a lot of people love me. It turns out. Mm-hmm. So facts. Um, I did have like a quick little news. I don't know if you heard that Fred Savage was fired from executive producing the Wonder Years. I did not. Yeah, that was just recent news. Again, just like what the Bill Murray situation is dealing with an uh, inappropriate conduct, dealing with women. And this actually wow. isn't the first time with Fred Savage. Given a new meaning to the word savage. Híjole. Uh, one other you know, mention on a more dour note. Again, I know last episode we had mentioned the passing of Neil Adams, a famed comic book artist. Yeah. Right before recording this show, when I was looking at the news, I found out that George Perez, uh, another famed comic book artist. I mean, George is, one, again, one of the, the best. Again, I know we, we talk, you know, movies and shows here. And I only mentioned uh-huh. Neil and George and Stan because these guys, their impact is so uh, so strong in that in that industry, but George was he's I mean he's one of the best. This is the guy that he would like when when comics have major events with like dozens of characters crossing over. He will draw 30, 40, 50, 60 characters. Like wow. he's 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 that guy you go to for that. But he's only sixty seven years old. He died from complications from pancreatic cancer. But uh, uh, again, George, thank you for your your art and your impact and uh, those you've influenced. And uh, rest in peace. Sir. Yes, indeed. R.I.P., brother. Indeed. He just seemed like a, I've heard him in interviews. He just like seemed like it's a really sweet, down to earth man. Like anytime I've heard him in interviews, like this guy just seems so freaking nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that was a shocker. I, did, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't seen that anywhere because I've just been prepping all day. And I was, I was like, man, George, like two in two weeks. 
Nonetheless, sir, what have you been watching? Ooh, I ended up watching Wall Street 2. Oh. Yeah, so that was actually pretty good. You know, it was, I will probably hold the first one above it, but it's a it's a different kind of angle. Um, do you mind if I spoil anything? No, I don't mind. Okay. Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch go, it today. Go ahead. Uh, Bud Fox makes an appearance. Because, you know, this is Shia LaBeouf, and, you know, the whole situation is basically, uh, hopefully I'm saying Shia LaBeouf, his character is in Wall Street and is dating uh, Gordon Gekko's daughter, right? And so um, eight years prior, um, Gordon Gekko gets out of jail. You know, he's poor and is basically starting over from scratch. But that's probably around like 2000, 2001 when he gets out of jail. Then they fast forward to 2008. Uh, 2007 2008 which is as we know the recession hits you know from right. all of the bad uh notes that the banks were giving out to people it was just all internal everybody knows about it the government was bailing arm, people out our mortgages man just them knowing that they were putting out bad paper you mm-hmm. know and it, it's pretty sad you know could have it really could have ruined america but that's why the bailout was necessary. But that's the backdrop of this. And um, Bud Fox, you know, as Gordon Gekko, he's he's doing his manipulating thing again. He's manipulating child because, you know, he doesn't really have a father figure in his life. And his daughter has nothing, wants nothing to do with him. Uh, but Gordon Gekko's reasoning for manipulating because he has $100 million in a Swiss account that he's really trying to get access to. And the only way he can get access to it is by... His daughter signing off on it, and she wants nothing to do with him. So that's his in to that. Yeah, but it's um, it was it was pretty cool, man. O- overall, it was solid, and believe it or not, uh, Gordon Gecko redeems himself. What? What? Fascinating. Yeah, not giving out too much information, but yeah, he redeems himself. It's uh, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Yeah, nice, nice. Um. I'll jump in again. I'm still watching a lot of the same stuff I've, I've mentioned previously. Uh, you know, my old school, the history blues. I watched the finale of moon Knight, which was interesting. I'm, I'm still kind of mauling over whether I felt it stuck the landing uh, the post credit scene helped, helped, helped me more with how I felt about the ending. Uh, still. What, what was it? Moon night. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh no. Well, yeah, it's again, it was like, but again, that's, that's a, part, a, a big chunk of that is based on, my expectations as a comic book fan uh, with him because they went a fairly different route. They leaned into more of the fantastical, whereas he is kind of a very street level kind of character, yeah. like kind of akin to like a daredevil, mm-hmm. like running the city. But anyway, but, but again, Oscar Isaac's performances throughout are great. But the post credit scene, I'm like, oh, gives a uh, yeah, just keeps keeps it keeps keeps it going and leaves okay. leaves it open for a second season. But new things that I, I took on. Kind of an old thing. I, I, I rewatched the original TM, TMNT movie from the nineties. Uh-huh. Still, that still still works for me. It's got just a nice yeah. flow to it. And just uh. did you watch it? What platform did you watch it on? What did I watch it on? Oh, I own it. I uh-huh. own a uh, digital copy on Amazon. Oh, nice. So just okay. Fired it up. Cowabunga. Okay, one thing that I've been burning through that is I think it's like my kind of new favorite show right now. It's on Paramount Plus. It's called The Offer. Okay. It's based on the making of The Godfather. Oh. Stars Miles Teller mm-hmm. as uh, 
So it's like a biotech kind of thing? or It's like a dramatization. Okay. Kind of similar to how Winning Time is about the building of the Lakers dynasty. Okay, got it. This is a dramatization on the, the making of the Godfather film. Interesting. And Miles Teller is playing the, the guy who directed it, a guy named, last name is Rudy or, or Ruddy, uh, Al Ruddy. Mm-hmm. And just how it's got him, it's got like the studio exec who's who is over... I think Paramount is, I think Paramount is the actual um, studio. But then there's some other, like the top guy who kind of owns it all. And then like the guy who's kind of in accounting, who's trying to keep everybody a- a- accountable, who they're putting pressure on him. And then that puts pressure on Rudy. And then the, 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 the mob is kind of involved. And there's certain Italian Americans who, after reading Mario Puzo's novel, of the Godfather mm-hmm. are pissed about the portrayal of Italians. And, and Frank Sinatra thinks that one of the characters in there, Johnny Fontaine is based on him. That's how he feels about it. And he's yeah. like just ripping, ripping into uh, every chance. So like there's all this tension like all around and it's there are four episodes in. I mean, I watched three of them on like this week. And then the, the on Sunday, I, mm-hmm. I yeah, Sunday I'd watched three episodes. I was like, this is awesome. Wow. And I was like, man, what's the next episode come on? It came out Wednesday. It's like, man, like I just, I just can't wait for the next episode. So far, it's just real good. And they got people, you know, they got somebody playing uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, R- Ruddy is the producer. I called him the director. No, clearly, Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> right. is the director of The Godfather. Mm-hmm. But Miles um, Teller is Ruddy. He's he's the producer of the project. And they got mm-hmm. a guy playing Mario Puzo and him and... Uh, Francis Ford are working on the script and trying to get that down. Uh, and they got, you know, they got a guy playing Pacino and trying to get him in on it. And the, the, the studio exec did not want Pacino. Francis Ford Coppola was dead set. No, got to have him. Yeah. So Pacino was just doing stuff on Broadway. Right. And they had seen him in the show and said, no, I want this guy. And then they got, they got a guy playing, of course, the Don himself. Um, our man, uh, Mario, not Mario. Uh, and well, the guy who plays the Godfather, uh, Marlon Brando. There we go. Oh Lord, yeah, yeah. Marlon Brando. They got a guy Brain playing fart. him. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the guy playing Marlon Brando. Them getting him. That was based off a letter that that Mario Puzo had sent to Brando, saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, it'd be great if you, you know, I say you, I see you as the Don." And then he writes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so the show is. Man, it's it's very very well done. It's riveting. If you have, you know, if you enjoy just seeing how films can be made or mm, or have trouble being made, yeah, it's great in that regard. It's just the grit that the, this producer has about how do you overcome obstacles. That's that's a, that's a difficult one, man. Especially when you're making films about like real crime and it's reality for people and uh, real criminals. How do you tell these stories without indicting anybody? Because I mean, they were popping people left and right. Um, when the mob was coming, getting shook down. Yeah, and there's this, there's just layers to it, and um, and they at one point say, "Hey, look, you know, we need to make sure that the word mafia is not in the script." Mm-hmm. And so they they strike the word mafia is not in the script apparently. So in the film, it'd be interesting to go back and watch see if the film if the, if the word's mentioned. But supposedly it was stricken from the film, so it's like not mentioned. They, and they try to make 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 it say, "Look, we're not making a movie about the mafia. This movie's about family." And about pe- people being willing to do whatever it takes to take care of family. Yeah. So, yeah. What else you been watching? Just finished Atlanta episode called hey. New Jazz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 
I mean, the episode starts out. Spoiler. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Episode starts out with uh, Earn and our, you know, Paperboy and what's our, what's Keith Lakeith's character's name? Lamar? I don't know. I forget too. <laughs> but basically, just, uh, Earn is like, hey, are y'all going to do that thing that you can't tell me about for insurance purposes? So that starts the episode out. So they, you know they're about to do some janky stuff today. Mm-hmm. So it's basically them just taking, you know, taking some drugs and they're in Amsterdam. So anything goes, right? So, Darius is Lakeith. Darius. Yeah. His character is getting just more and more just whatever. His episodes go. He just floats with the wind. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, basically, we follow Paperboy as he takes his drug trip. And we are tripping out with him. But uh, yeah, very clever episode. I dug it. Awesome appearance from Liam ne- Neil Limson. Leeson? Neil? What's his name? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. I don't know. That, it's actually pretty brilliant because if y'all remember a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, an old article had come out about something that Neeson had uh, said based around a friend of his who had gotten raped by uh, a, a black person, um, alleged black person, mm-hmm. and his response in an article about wanting to go after him, but it came across as if, if he was like mad at all black people, something to that effect. Yeah, because the stereotypes of black people raping white women it's there you go right <laughs> and so he kind of caught heat for that and so his cameo in this episode i won't give away the conversation he has with paperboy but it's pretty it's pretty smart the way they the way they worked that i'm like that's yeah. pretty brilliant to yeah to play through and to, and to lean in to some yeah. effects i'm like that's and he's playing himself yeah. and then isn't sorry about what he said <laughs> <laughs> the character himself is like that's pretty damn it's like smart. wait he's playing himself hmm it's yeah it's, it's that's very deep i was like wow that's pretty damn smart like that's <laughs> see i see what y'all did there and they met at the council club that's yeah that's that. so why didn't you see what it's called the council club I'm like ah huh. um outside of atlanta i watch um just randomly gardens of the galaxy 2 and um you know get some more kirk douglas kirk douglas and uh, the kids, man, they they really dug it. So it was just something to play while we were just hanging out. Hanging out that, with the, the intro is super fun with little baby oh, group. That's right. Yes. So he's like dancing in the forefront, and then they're battling just this monster in the background. I mean, it's what's it's an awesome title sequence. It is. It really is. I'm like that's. And then of course they do the callback where Drax looks over at him and like he's dancing. And he stops. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's super cute. It's a super cute intro. Uh, Mary Poppins, y'all. I don't know Mary why that's Poppins, great. Y'all. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, James Gunn knows how to give it. Like I, I didn't really, I didn't like the film the first time I watched it. Uh-huh. I loved the first Guardians. The second one just didn't. I was like, eh, something I didn't care for it. But I've gone back and it's it's there's some important plot points that happen, and right. so it's grown on me. I'm like, okay, I'm cool with it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a show called Hacks. On HBO, which I'd heard about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got the actress who played uh, Judy Suspesic. Suspesic? Mm. Silk Spectre, formerly Silk Spectre on Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And now she's working for the FBI. Like okay. that, that actress mm-hmm. who was very sharp, very poignant. Uh, she, uh, uh, what's her name? Something Smart. And smart is her last name. Mm-hmm. But So she's in the show Hacks, she plays this older comedian 
who was like, she's got a show in Vegas, mm-hmm. and there's a young lady who's who basically gets assigned to help her write new material. It's the kind of their dynamic. But this lady is, pardon me, she's super successful. I mean, she has a mansion and like servants. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, I mean, she's, yeah, balling. Straight up balling. So, anyways, about like their dynamic and you know, they're getting into like how to write jokes and 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 she's rude and she's got a you know strange relationship with her daughter. Those mm-hmm. different tropes are there, but it's I can't stop watching. It's like okay, <laughs> it's, it's very effective. Hacks. And when it, yeah, hacks. And what is hacks? Was that from? Oh, is it saying like you're a writing hack? Like hack like that? Yeah, like oh. wash up. Like yeah, like okay. a hack. But it's a hack. He's a hack. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, but it's, it's been it's been that's clever actually. Quite quite enjoyable. So I'm on um, episode nine and then ten, and I know that you know season two is going to be dropping this month. So mm-hmm. that's part of kind of spurred me to check it out. I'm like, let me see what this is about. See what's going on. And burn it through. And then of course, leading up to watching Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, last yesterday I watched Spider Man No Way Home. Okay, again, which I had, Get I had refreshed I, up. Fresh yeah, because I hadn't yeah. watched it again since I saw it in the theaters. Ah, dang, isn't it solid? It is very solid. I'm like, damn, this is a Good movie, like like we were talking last episode. Yeah. The the emotional ups and downs and yeah, I still feel bad when it ends. I'm like, oh, oh, you know, <laughs> as he jumps out the window, like oh. For me, I'm like, well, then now, now, now y'all, now you are Spider Man. You yeah. you have been Chris. Now now you <laughs> you bear the weight of that, the quote unquote Parker luck. And I don't that, like it. I don't like how it makes me feel. <laughs> he, he had been living the. <laughs> Good life, yeah, and it, it now does, everybody's it murdered and forgotten. It's bad, and now now he's he's truly on his on his own. It's like wow, no nobody knows, and then, then he makes he makes that hard choice, and that's what I mean. Like, Tom Holland, the dude brings the emotion, man. The the exchange between him and, and Zendaya yeah. in that coffee shop at the end, and he's he's got his little speech. He's practicing. I'm telling you, dude, that's Michael J. Fox. I'm telling you. Mm. He just makes that choice. Mm-hmm. And he makes, and that's what Peter Parker does. In the day, he makes those hard choices, and that's and that was the growth in that film because he had been trying to have it all. Doctor Strange told him, "Your problem is that you're trying to live these two lives. You're trying to have it all, and that's not Spider Man. Spider Man never has it all, and even when he does, he always loses it. So there's a bit of a tragic. He's a tragic character. That's what always kind of happens to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah." So I watched that just to kind of see what was going on with Doc Strange. Yeah. And so last night we saw the Multiverse Madness. No spoilers here, but appreciate I'll, it absolutely. But I'll just say, damn, it, <laughs> like that. Yeah, there, there, there's stuff that went down I wasn't expecting. Uh, and I'll just say, man, there are there are some cameos in this film that I I was not expecting. I was pleasantly pleasantly surprised. Yes. So yeah. Yes. Yes, okay. Doctor Strange, okay. Multiverse of Madness, check it out. Yes, indeed. And uh, today's show is sponsored by Natural Heather Movie by Grinder Matter Films, available to stream on All Black TV, available to also stream on Tubi, as well as All Black by EMC Networks. And, there's, there's a, and oh, Amazon Prime. Actually, I got, it, I got it right in front of me. I'm tripping. No worries. Yeah. And Amazon, Amazon Video Service as well. Please check it out. Leave a review. And let's jump back into the show. Oh. 
Thank you for tuning in to Filmmaker Commentary. We're talking about Big Trouble in Little China from John Carpenter. And let's jump into the synopsis. Jack Burton, a tough-talking truck driver whose life goes into a supernatural tailspin when his best friend's fiancé is kidnapped. Jack suddenly finds himself in a murky, danger-filled world beneath San Francisco's Chinatown, where Lopan, a 2,000-year-old magician, mercilessly rules an empire of spirits. Big trouble in Little China. And if this is your first time listening to Filmmaker Commentary, we don't want to be merciless with you, so we'll (laughs) let you know that there will be spoilers. You've been forewarned. How did you watch this film? Or was this the first time you ever watched it? <laughs> oh, no, sir. I am a child of the 80s. Okay. I watched this on good old HBO, mm-hmm. which I don't think gets enough credit for exposing people to different movies. Mm-hmm. Even beyond video releases, HBO I mean, would get it. I mean, way before cable would get a movie. I mean, it, things move quicker now, but back then, man, a movie in the theaters wouldn't come to cable for two, three years, mm-hmm. if not longer. HBO got it much quicker, like within a, a year or so, something like that, it would seem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I first watched this on HBO as a kid and watched it multiple times. Me and my sis, you know, my pops, my dad was the first one to introduce us to it. But yeah, I loved this movie as a kid. Mm-hmm. Loved this movie as a kid. Same here, dude. Watch it as a kid. Um, HBO. I think HBO had to have been where this was being played over and over. And and not when it came out, because it took a while for it to get like on HBO. You know, that I mean, it would hang out in theaters for for a year a lot of the times, uh, some of these movies. If it uh, did well. Yeah. Um, so this may have came quicker because it didn't do well at the box office. Possibly. You probably you're probably right, but you know you had those windows, so you had that, then you had home video, and then, or, I wonder, did it go theater? Uh, cable, no, cable was always way later, man. Okay, cable, was okay, that's what three, I was four, three, four, five years before stuff was getting to cable. Lord, it's so much quicker now, but <laughs> it was. Man, <laughs> yeah. So like, so it it would just live on VHS. Then it would just be rented, and it'd be on VHS, and everybody's just kind of watching at somebody's house if you had it, yeah, um, or rent it from Blockbuster or your local uh, rental place. And then one day it'll be on cable. Because I remember, man, I would never catch it from the beginning. It took a yeah. long time to catch <laughs> this movie. I, I I don't think I actually saw it from the beginning until years ago when I rented it through Netflix mm-hmm. and put it in. I was like. I've never actually seen the actual actual beginning. I would get close, but that part at the beginning uh, where the guy's talking about Jack, Mm -hmm. I was like, I hadn't seen this before. Dude, yeah. And I don't don't even remember that that the beginning of the film. You know, I always remember them running. Like, when you catch it, oh, they're running. Okay, right into it. And because it's cut so well, it's like you're just along for the ride. Yeah, man. Once this thing goes, it's Mm -hmm. pretty much nonstop. True. And I think I always called it around like the third act, you know, the mm. little ball with eyes. That thing is so gross. <laughs> Yuck. I don't like things with eyes. <laughs> it's nah, disgusting. I'm not, I'm not down with that. Yeah. So like that was in, and that was in my warehouse because I lo- love martial arts and all that stuff. So Last Dragon comes out in 1985. Yeah. Similar, very similar vibe. I thought about that too. It came <laughs> I'm like, Y'all stole this. <laughs> I think where 
Last Dragon succeeds where this one didn't is Last Dragon. The music was a little better. Because um, if you notice at the end, you know, you know, shout out to John Carpenter, but, you know, these were different musicians. I mean, come on, Barry Gorey's Last Dragon. That's they right. come in with the music. Sure. Uh, that, and then I think they got the tone right in Last Dragon. What It was a digestible tone where, you know, anybody could get where I think with this one, the tone, you had to be kind of inside on the joke to understand it. Last Dragon was also like, again, yeah, it was true. It was a true, the, the, the hero was very true. And yeah. they were very specific about that, right? right. You want these two non-flawed you know mm-hmm. hero princess uh you know black couple represented that way kind of classic love story easy to follow overcome the the hump even though the characters were crazy and over the top as well true whereas with this we've got we've got the role reversal of the 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 quote-unquote main hero is really an incompetent is incompetent and really should be a sidekick and yeah. the sidekick is the is the main hero he's yeah. leading the charge He's got the knowledge and the skill every step of the way. Which I think it would have been what if they were marketed with the, his sidekick, the Asian actor. I wonder if they would have marketed him as the main character. Would Market, have done better, you know? Marketing was the problem for the film itself. Yeah. The, the way it was marketed or not marketed uh, mm-hmm. is that, that, that is the, that is the big issue. And there was one of the interviews that I watched where they, well, actually was one with Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. where he was, him and Carpenter were in the room during one of the viewings and one of the head guys at the studio was like, I don't think, at the end, he's, in the, he's like, I don't think this guy's very good at what he does. <laughs> so obviously, you haven't read the script And or they're something. like, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. And somebody specifically. <laughs> that's funny. For someone to, to discover that during the screening. Exactly. But somebody specifically said they were there in the meetings mm-hmm. when they, they chose to basically kill the film. Because Kurt said that leading up to it, even like one or two weeks out, he was like. They moved the date because he was hearing nothing about it being mm-hmm. dropped. And he said, so he knew like a week out, he knew something was wrong. Yeah, and basically it, he had, it, it had been it was buried. And even the ads that they did have were like, "Who was this man?" You know, and and I was like, "Where is he going?" And Kurt said he wasn't a big enough star at the time to have that mean anything to anybody. So mm-hmm. it was just, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate too because when they were talking about that, it's. The vibe in the city was like they knew that this movie was going to be a hit. So everybody's yeah. like, man, what does it feel like knowing you're going to have like the best the movie of the year? And then for it not to be pushed the way it was intended because this film is solid. Um, I Watching this, I had no idea that the whole reason that Jack is along for this adventure is because he's trying to get money from his best friend that he they lost in a bet. So that's the whole reason why we're at the airport. That's the whole reason we're, the, we're in this trouble is because we're trying to get money from What's what's his friend's name? I forget. But yeah, he's he's trying to get money from his friend who doesn't have the money to pay him in a in a bet, and that's the reason why we're caught up in this thing. Wang Chi, Wang Chi. So yeah, that's how we get caught. I had no idea that was the premise of why we're here. Small small things. It's the small things. What did you like or not like about the film? I liked. I liked the final battle. It takes place because like everybody gets a little bit oh, there yeah. gets their time to shine again. Yes. Kind of similar to the last dragon right at the end. Everybody gets kind of gets a moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh I like that it's just nonstop from the go. There's not a, a slow beat in this. It's yeah. just boom, boom, we're moving, moving. Even during the times of exposition, it's it's pretty snappy. True. And woven into the, the dialogue pretty well, especially with like Kim Cattrall. Like she's mm-hmm. boom, like Whipping out that uh, exposition very quickly, yeah. And uh, James Hung, uh, his role as as uh, Lopan 
and and both as the 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 feeble old man and as the you know seven foot tall <laughs> demigod ghost dude. Like he's uh, he's pretty awesome in his performance. Very entertaining. He is entertaining. I like his little sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> As a kid, dude, I was like dying laughing hearing this dude do these sound effects. I'm like, this guy's really into it. There was one of the interviews that I watched <laughs> with the with the uh, producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was a no, he was a sound effects guy, uh, no visual effects guy. Mm-hmm. He was being interviewed during one of the commentaries, and while they were watching, he would crack up <laughs> like he would. He, he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I got. He says, it's thirty years later, this guy still cracking. He was just breaking <laughs> breaking down, laughing every time at, at Lopan. So that's. A credit to, to James Hong and his his performance. I got to meet James Hong at the American Film Market the first time we went out there, and he's nice. he's all business, dude. Gave me his card and it was like, "Hey, you know," and and I had the the suit on. Me and Pablo's out there doing, you know, business, doing business. But uh, yeah, very approachable guy. Nice, that's very cool. What I disliked, uh, I think, is a little little bit of uh, overacting. Some of the some of the dialogues a little cheesy. I know that. Kurt Russell was going even when the last time I watched it before this time when I watched Kurt Russell's performance I was like he sounds like John Wayne yeah and he says it he was basically trying to channel John Wayne and yeah. Jack Nicholson yeah I was like huh so yeah but some of it comes a little 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 cheese yeah but uh and then again the mini the mini eyed monster don't like it yeah that was Yuck. disgusting uh memorable though um yeah. <laughs> yeah with him over doing that act I didn't I didn't get it you know, as a kid watching, I'm like, hmm, okay. That's just who he is. You know, right. that's just the character. We just accept it. It was entertaining. And then you had uh, Kim, the Sex and the City lady. Mm-hmm. Even her acting was like, what is this? You know, that's why I said, like, I think the tone wasn't. She feels like she's playing like a character from a different time period, like an older t- time period, like a yeah. like a fast talking reporter, almost like a Lois Lane, like from like a, like a 40s or 50s kind of. Well, what about this? Can we get this down there? Like, it's just boom, really, really. Fast and quick. Yeah. Yeah. It came off, it came off like airheadish kind of, you know, sometimes. Um, but yeah, I didn't get that tone back as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, I just accepted it. Exactly. But going back and watching it, I'm like, ah, what? <laughs> as yeah. an adult, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, you're catching things. Again, <laughs> I, that John Wayne thing I caught when I watched it as an adult, I was like, he's doing a John Wayne impression. Just, I was <laughs> like, oh, okay. But then hearing that this was originally supposed to be a Western, mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, what do you like or dislike? Um, I like James Hong. Like, like you know, that was very, you know, entertaining. I like the adventure feeling. Like we're going on an adventure, and that's why like the Goonies has that vibe. It's like every scene seemed like a new situation. You know, every time like they'll crawl through a little tunnel, it's like, oh wow, this is another world. In constant, this thing. constant peril. Yeah, man. So I like the adventure, like this feeling like I'm in a different world. Goonies give me that same feeling. Um, and also like the I like the uh, martial arts um, again at that time, really into martial arts. So I was very critical about martial arts being done in a film. And these guys are legit. They're the real deal. You can see it in the background. They got the style down. Even the actors that aren't martial artists pull it off. Yeah, there was one. uh one of the like real small like documentaries like it was like a vignette mm-hmm. and they were showing the scene like from the first like street gang fight that takes place mm-hmm. and it's the scene with the guy with the with the with the beard and the kind of the axe oh. they call him the why is there always like a crazy man? Asian dude with a bald head with the long beard like just unbelievable yeah uh, anyhow what, what for real because I think about like the raid like <laughs> the guy the guy in the raid kind of yeah. has that vibe and that look to him 
But like that when the, they're fighting against the door and he puts the window, those two guys were like rehearsing the scene, and the guy in all white, mm-hmm. he doesn't just in practice, he does an axe kick, mm-hmm. just like so fast. I was like, oh my god, that was <laughs> like they would have to slow it down yeah. on film for it to really reach it. It was. He was just practicing. It was lightning quick. I was like, "That's like Bruce Lee, dude." Jeez, like yeah, Bruce I, Lee was so fast that they would have to. They would. He would have to slow down, and then they would have to slow down the the film. Yeah, I believe it was. It was incredibly quick. I was like, it was quicker than I do. Yeah, I was like, yeah, they they would have to slow that down. He was just in practice. Was like, Wait, what was that? Yeah, yeah, these guys were legit, and and the the guys who play the storms. Mm-hmm. Man, as a, <laughs> as a kid, I I loved those dudes. I thought they were so cool. Rain, thunder, and, lightning. Oh man! See, I wonder about like with uh, when I see lightning, I'm like, you know, is that influence for Raiden? That is, you Raiden. Know? Oh, that's straight, straight jacked. Come straight on, straight up. And that was, you know, that game came out in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Combat. So yeah, you gotta get your influence from somewhere. Yeah, but just like them doing their their forms and just the weapons, just ha ha, and then when, <laughs> when they're breathing out, <laughs> oh, that guy. God. What's his name? That is uh, David Wang. Let me see if I can get, his, get his name right. Put Carter Wong. Respect on his name. Yeah, Carter Wong. And he's swole, and he's got his breathing exercise down. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, man, yeah, he is yeah. into it. He's working that airflow, but his interview is really nice because he goes into kind of how he was. He he trained with a with a grandmaster, uh, and with like North Shaolin techniques. That's a hard style. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a very hard style. Uh, there's a shot with Carter, and it shows his hand. And I look at people's knuckles, like his two knuckles. They got these little circle things on them. Yeah, yeah. He's been he's been hitting a lot of stuff. So yeah, <laughs> toughen up his toughen up his fist, see, iron fist. When you see his interview, he's much. This is like he's much older now. Yeah, and you, you can see his knuckles clearly. Yeah. Like just sitting there in the shot, and like yeah. there. I mean, all of them's like these big round, like just calluses on them. Just boom, 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 boom. Each one, I'm like. This dude's been, you know, knocking down oak trees and yeah. And they said he would just, uh, you know, he would just like, you know, hit hit his shins with sticks. Yeah, just get him, get him toughened up, get him calloused up. There's yeah. another, uh, there's a book called Iron and Silk, and there was a movie based on the book. And there's a guy called Master Pond, and he would hit uh, with his fist like actual steel and it'd go bing bing just hitting it thousands of times over throughout mm. the day and he said when he hit somebody he's only like maybe doing 30 percent because if he was to do even more it would kill them fatality <laughs> master pun man old skinny dude long hair he passed away now but dude they were scared of this guy Rightfully so. Like, yeah, yeah, yo, go, go. That two punches steel, son. Yeah, like his knuckles, his knuckles, like how Carter Wong was, imagine that, but then they're black. So they're like, it makes an actual sound, like an actual steel sound when it hits something. That's insane. (laughs) I I cannot fathom. Um, The commentary. Um, I only only looked at, only listened to one because I was going to get this, this awesome one that you have, the special edition, but uh, I didn't. I got the one at Movie Trade Company. It was like six bucks, so I went and grabbed it real quick. Go in peace, my child. Go yes. in peace. And it had the uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell uh, commentary on it, which a lot of people actually enjoyed it because they're having a good time. Um, what are your thoughts? Which ones did you watch on your uh, commentary? Listen to all of them, Reginald. <laughs> That's a lot of... <laughs> all of the commentaries. How many, what kind of commentaries did it have? Because... I didn't read that. It has, 
Audio commentary with producer Larry J. Franco. A new audio commentary with special effects artist Steve Johnson. And of course, the aforementioned audio commentary with director John Carpenter and actor Kurt Russell. That's a lot, dude. Um, were you, did you get anything out of the extra commentaries? Unfortunately, no, because they were also curated by someone else who was basically interviewing that person. And so you're going through kind of their history and occasionally they would they would talk about aspects of the film, but you're getting a lot of their filmography and then working them talking about working with John on other projects. Uh, so they're insightful, but not so much about the film, which was you know that kind of was a was a bit of a letdown. Yeah, yeah. I wish there was more. Um, like the commentary is enjoyable um, and refreshing. It's cool to see you know relationships last over the years. True. Um, and kind of seeing why you see certain actors work with directors over and over again um, because of that rapport, and they enjoy working with them. Um, but I wish that John Carpenter would kind of give the goods, especially when it comes like the filmmaking. <laughs> and I thought this, you know, in the special features, you know, it would be a little bit more of that because, I mean, this is a classic film, and it's well put together. I thought I would, you know, see a little bit more. But Yeah, I was, hoping for, I was hoping for some more of that too. But I think the best... Uh, the best features were, again, these interviews. Like, there's a second disc on the one that I have, and it's got interviews with actor uh, Dennis Dunn, James Hong, Peter Kwong, Donald Lee, who played, he played uh, Rain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he played He's Rain. the guy with the long hair. Yeah. He's super sharp, man. Yeah. Like, his his interview is one of the best. Because he's still a working actor. Yeah. I, yeah, pretty sure that he is. I was looking at his profile. He's like, been very involved. He's got shorter hair now. Yeah, and shorter gray hair. He, he's suited and looking looking sharp. Yeah. And again, he's, you know, the cool thing about it, like in trying to like subvert subvert different kind of stereotypes. Mm-hmm. You know, these are these are these are Americans. Yeah, who happen to be be Asian. Yeah. Um, and so you know, he's totally you know, there's you know, he's got no no accent anything like that. He's just. You know, American, he was born and raised in a small town in California, and he loved Westerns growing up, and he's kind of just telling his story. But he's, but he talks about, you know, some of the discrimination he's faced. Oh, big time. And he talks about, you know, how he got on. And he had studied martial arts separately, and when he uh, auditioned for the role, how he brought his weapons with him. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, he, he said, he told Doug Carpenter, these are for if I don't get the role. <laughs> kind of just kind of joking around or whatever, and Carpenter asked him to display some of his skill. But his interview was very good. I th- I think that's important too because even John Carpenter had to kind of get on uh, Kurt a little bit about that. He's like, he's Chinese, right? You know. And then you know, John Carpenter's like, no, he's American. Talking about uh, James Wong. Um, exactly. He's like, born. He, he's born in Michigan. From yeah, Michigan. He's American, but his ancestry is from China. You know, he's kind of exactly. like he had to break it down so he. You know, just, to, you know, we sometimes got to enlighten each other because we don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, you know, with 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 people who at times have stronger ties to their to their heritage or their culture. You know, it could be easy to to make make that uh, make that mistake. But mm-hmm. but I, I like that, uh, that that they got a chance to really kind of tell their story and their background. It's very fascinating to hear. But also there were updated interviews with John Carpenter and with Kurt Russell as well talking about their experience, even the cinematographer. So those interviews are pretty insightful. I didn't get through all of them. There are a few left that I didn't get to, but, but yeah, but they were insightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of tone do you think uh, John Carpenter was able to illustrate in this film? Well, it's a hodgepodge of, <laughs> right? of, of tones, right? There's action adventure, there's comedy, 
mythology and horror. Yeah. All kind of coming together, coming at you. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it, it on paper you think it wouldn't work, but it's, I mean, it's it's fun. At the end of the day, I think yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a fun, enjoyable film. Yeah, definitely entertaining. Um, the tone, I you know, you got the over-the-top characters. Um, I, as a, uh, watching it with fresh eyes as a kid, I took it serious, you know, like like a serious film. You know, I didn't know like all the stuff behind the scenes. I just could only see it as what it was. Um, but you know, with the like the martial arts, they didn't they didn't really use comedy uh, with the martial arts. Like say like a Jackie Chan hitting somebody and like that hurts. Like they took the martial arts like straight on. Even the fantasy stuff, you know, even though it was fantastic, um, they were playing that straight on. One of the things that Donald Lee mentioned in his interview is that Carpenter didn't tell him in the other storms that it was a comedy. So when they did their martial arts, good, they were boom straight on, like you know I'm gonna you know waste you like they were focused and serious, right? And he mentioned it in his fight with uh, David Dunn when David does the raising of the eyebrows, which I always always yeah. loved as a kid. I was like, oh, that is just cool, like yeah, like he's got this, uh-huh. but. Uh, Lee wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And so that's why his his reaction, he said on camera, is, is real. Like he was, <laughs> he said it threw it threw him off his game when he did it. Like, why, why, why is he doing that? You know, yeah. why is he raising his yeah, eyes? Like, yeah. so. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, but the yeah, the martial arts were played, played serious for the, for the storms. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, so the tone of that, the grossness, there's a lot of <laughs> some gross things going on and uh, the characters, gross, you know, that eyeball. The wild, the wild man. Thing. Uh, yeah, so that sets a certain kind of tone. Um, I thought it would have been rated R, but like kind of going back home, it's not nothing like overly gross, you know, it's or violent, even though it's you know, it's action all day long. But it, when no, someone gets shot, you don't see like blood, no blood out. splattering, yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of uh I- impressive, yeah, it's, it's 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 brutal in some regards, but yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not like the raid violent. <laughs> oh no, we're gonna we're gonna get shot. We're gonna see the blood go on. It's gonna go on the ground. Someone's gonna slip on it. Uh, <laughs> um, it's not it's not gory. Yeah, because I mean, you know, there was a couple times where you see someone's legs or arm get broke, but even that kind of seemed comical in a way. It was like almost comical, but then they'll cut before it gets funny. Right, before the bone pops out. Oh, you know, I take it back. There is blood when Lopan is is uh, is oh, getting right. the blood from uh, from his, the girls. Green eyed bride. That's right. He's sucking it. Got this vampire thing going on. I'm trying to get back in my flesh. <laughs> <laughs> is it too much to ask that you kill him now? <laughs> he's got uh, some. He's got some great lines. He does. Uh, style. Did you did you pick up on the style that John Carpenter was putting on that screen? Uh, there's a lot of camera movement. Yeah, yeah. Camera moves quite a bit, keeping up with the the action. Everything's in in focus. It still yep. holds up. You know, the transfer to Blu-ray is I agree. solid. It's a, it was excellent. Yeah, like oh, okay. It's yeah. It's disappointing when you get the transfer and it's like this is still VHS. <laughs> like what what are y'all doing? This is why am I paying extra for this? Oh, fair, uh, fair point. Feels good, but anamorphic. It was shot with the anamorphic. You can tell with the flares and John Carpenter. That's his thing. Um, and from a filmmaking standpoint, the shots are well lit, put together. Like I'm like, this is a master doing his craft. 
Well, his, uh, you know, he's been at this point working with the same DP since Halloween. Yeah. Uh, same guy uh, had done them. This was like his, at this point, this, I think this is his 11th film at okay. this point. Yeah, he's on top of his game. And yeah. it it literally shows on the screen. Like, this is beautiful. Like, I'm looking at the lighting, like, it's it's right. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a very, it's like lean too. You know, they're not spending too many times on just like gratuitous shots. It's like, this shot has meaning. Let's move on. Move on, yeah. And they even, there was even some... I don't remember who who that was saying that. I think actually with one of the special effects guys, like he would, they'd get the shot and Carpenter's like, "All right, we're good." And the guy's like, "No, we need you need to get more coverage of this." And Carpenter's like, "Nope, I got what I need. Moving on." Yeah, shooting for the edit man. Like Carpenter typically knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. And when he gets it, it's like, "All right, moving on." Why? Why hang around? Exactly. Um, did you pick up any kind of themes in this film? Uh oh. Yes. <laughs> There's a theme, obviously, of Chinese mythology or Asia. Actually, let, me, let me say Asian mythology because yeah. talking or seeing the the original right, the guy who rewrote the screenplay and modernized it, mm-hmm. he had books he was looking at. He he pulled not only from Chinese, but he also pulled from some from some Japanese mythology. So let me just say Asian mythology as a whole is is a theme. Good versus evil. Mm-hmm. Order out of chaos. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Confidence over capacity or capability. And as I mentioned earlier, the sidekick hero and the the sidekick is the hero and the, the hero is the sidekick. Yeah. What about I, you? I didn't get anything. <laughs> I was straight I was reaching. I was like, I'm pretty sure Gay's got this one. <laughs> got it. <laughs> I got it taken care of. <laughs> I do have something like for the director like point of view and one of the things he had to do is that he had to remind the actors like hey this is a comedy like he had to actually remind them like oh like basically there's nothing he's saying there's nothing too dire in the situation because sometimes the actors or actresses will play it like that oh my god especially like at the airport and stuff like that and he's like hey this is a this is a comedy (laughs) Um, also one thing I did notice is Jack had a lot of questions like (laughs) Like he's always like at the airport, you know, when the guys like bust out with the like the nunchucks or whatever. I don't know what kind of uh, weapon that was. I'm saying nunchucks because it was like swinging around. And he's like, "Where'd you get that?" You know, he's like, "In a minute, <laughs> like, why? Where are you going? Do you know where he's at?" He's like, he's always asking questions instead of just doing the thing. He's I'm feeling like an outsider. What's what's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's he's got an honesty to him. That like he he's he's himself regardless. He's, right. he's a bit of a blowhard. Yeah, but he's he's confident to a fault. But at the end of the day, he he with a lot of help. Yeah, he comes through. Yeah, but but he asks questions, so he'll be in the know, and and, and he does learn. So I, I really can't fault him for that. It's like man, you're you're a blowhard, but. You're smart enough to ask questions. A lot of questions. If you <laughs> if you get a chance to ever go back and look at a lot of questions, almost yeah. every time they're going to another situation, he's asking a question about the situation. When that uh, thing, when they're in the under caverns and mm-hmm. the thing comes out and eats one of the guys and, and Egg is like, return no more. And he's like, Jack's like, return from, no more from where? <laughs> from where? <laughs> I don't blame you for being scared. That thing just popped out and Ate one. <laughs> yep. Grab a snack. <laughs> Do you have any uh, favorite scenes or memorable 
scenes that pop out to you? The very first gang fight that happens in that yeah. alley. Oh, yeah. That's, man, to go from, yeah, we're doing a funeral thing to, hey, we got machine guns and we're yeah. firing on each other, pistols and ba da ba da. Okay, drive the weapons hand to hand and they just go for it. Like, that's. That's uh, a well done sequence. And literally, uh, Jack has a knife in a gunfight. Um, and I try to go back to what I remember as a kid that stuck with me since watching this film, the knife throw to the head mm. at, at the very end, how Jack kills, um, Lopan. Lopan. <laughs> <laughs> that was very memorable. Of course, the eyeball guy that, how can you forget that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> And then when what's his name stabs him with the sword, the eyeball thing with the, the sword, the expression that like thing ju- makes like <laughs> <laughs> the eyes. And I think some juice up. like falls out of it, like squirts out. Like, I was like, "Good, <laughs> stay your ass down, <laughs> floating around here, watching everybody." <laughs> right? <laughs> You're done, son. <laughs> You're done. Uh, while uh, when uh, Lopan goes to look at his wife that's floating, or potential bride that's floating in the air uh my daughter was next to me and she was like why does he have nails why does he have nails yeah. <laughs> good question no comment daughter good question little one um also okay when they're when they're in the white lotus and mm-hmm. you know one of the storms comes down mm-hmm. and starting you know just blow stuff up and that, the one lady is like trying to run and she gets blown through a wall <laughs> and just, ah! I just heard I don't know her flying through that wall gets me every time because she is blown through it. I used to see that too often. It's just funny to me. Um, when they're when they're all making the big escape, kind mm-hmm. of during the second act, and they're kind of in the sewage system, and Kim Cattrall's character is like grabbing people through the water, and like "Where's Jack?" Yeah, and then puts him back down. "Where's Jack?" You know, and finally she pulls him up. I, and that just stood out to me because it's like okay. You see something budding between these two, yeah. You know, and they're, they're good looking, attractive people. It's kind of what you expect, and, and it's, it's that trope. Um, and then you know, he kisses her, and she's like, Hey, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm just happy to be alive. Oh, wait, <laughs> so it's like she's showing interest, mm-hmm. and he, you know, shows some affection, yeah. But she's like, No, not not, not that much, not 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 right now. So it's like this comp, like right, this complicated yeah. thing, uh, again. All the scenes with the storms in them, like they just oh, whenever yeah. they show up, they it's are still it's their show now. And even how they like change things up, like they've got this ancient warrior armor, yeah. But then all of a sudden, you know, Thunder shows up and he's rocking rocking his black suit. Oh yeah, they suited and booted. You know, you know they there for business. Yeah, they, they and they have multiple <laughs> like costume changes. Like when they yeah. do the, the the kind of the trance dance, and he's mm-hmm. doing his forms and he's got his two blades. And he's, ah. Ah, and then you do the slow-mo shots like I don't know oh, I yeah. always thought that was his just, chest out just the pants I thought that was just so cool he's just doing the motions bam 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 and then when they get to the end they do the breathing like, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just it's, it's so much focus like they're working that chi man it's just it's, you can feel that's the power yeah. that's there it's just yeah it's it's, uh, it's it's impactful Carter Wong uh Another scene when he blows himself up at the end. Oh, that yeah. always stuck with me. I was Absolutely. Like, his eyes are bulging out, his feet popping out, <laughs> steam coming out of his nose and his ears. And then he blows up, you hear it pop. And then like lettuce. Like that's what I remember. It's just like lettuce in the hallway. Like, flesh lettuce. Like, what is this? Leaves of flesh. 
How can you forget that, man? Yeah, and it's just like it's like he's so upset because he failed his master. Yeah, true. It's like, man, you taking it kind of hard, homie. I know Everybody else is like hmm. <laughs> Fly out Lightning Just like hmm, Let me go get these guys You get a rock Rock to the I mean they all end up dying yep. You know Which is uh, Pretty much It's unfortunate I guess I mean like, what, are you, what are you gonna do I mean it's like Hey Game, game over buddy Game's over um, Okay When Jack is Is late for the action After he gets Tries to pull his knife Out of his boot He yeah. pulls too hard And he ends up Tossing to the side He's like oh, He has to go and get it And then you know Um Wong is taking, taking, taking out everybody, and all of a sudden, Jack jumps back in there with a the knife and the gun. Ha! <laughs> and the action's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Took care of him. Thanks, Jack. Time uh, to go. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's what he said. And, and then you, and you already mentioned the catch and, re- and release of the, of the knife. Man, that was solid. I don't yeah. think I've seen that before. After he, after he initially throws it, and thing totally misses. And then, you know, David Lee. Deems himself. Huh. Mm, it's like okay He came through at the end Facts uh, Tropes I only have like a couple of tropes um, But Scandally clad women Running in the hallway Away from danger How many times Have we seen that Like that's in A lot of action films Absolutely the Rush hour I mean this That goes on and on You know Hotel People going down the fire <laughs> You know Fire exits Like that is normal It's an opportunity too Like if it's a rated R film To show like someone naked <laughs> So true, Run true. across the stream real quick it's Like okay That's how we got a rated R Yeah Well I mean And, it, and this time in the 80s I mean there's PG movies That it's true you know, That could happen mm-hmm. But In this one There, 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 was, there was no nudity In, in, in this one So no. uh, I, I put Everything that Jack says is, is a trope. <laughs> it's all in the reflexes. Yeah. I was born ready. Wow. Yeah. His, his he's, he's, he's a walking trope. That's wow. Um, oh, the sacrifice of the special girl. Uh, yes. The, the the bad guy needs a special bride and he must sacrifice her in order to. And it has to be something special. Is she a virgin? Or in this case, green, green eyes. eyes. What? There you go. Um, another one I had is when you're talking about the little tunnel with the water and all that. Yeah, that, I, had, I had that too. Dude, like, is that not a Goonie scene? Yeah. Them in water and then the kiss? Like, yeah. Like, we've seen this before. I said at least mm. an 80s trope. Uh, I said uh, the breakout rescue with loads of gang members in pursuit. <laughs> We're breaking out. We got a whole bunch of yeah. uh, members chasing after us, shooting. Shooting our vehicle as we drive away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any quotes? I may have a few. <laughs> I only got a few. Got it. Again, I said this earlier. I was born ready. True. There is a scene when uh, Jack is leading the crew out of the place, and he's like, <laughs> "Follow me," you know, like he just knows what's going on. <laughs> And then he opens the door because they're expecting to get out and it, it's, you know, they're going outside and all that stuff. But when they open the door, it's like a hundred bad guys right there. He closes the door and he looks back. I think we're trapped. Hide. <laughs> we may be trapped. <laughs> the time, the timing and the beat on that is perfect because as he opens the door, even the sound is like, I think it's like a gong. Like, Bong. oh, we may be trapped. <laughs> Hide. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that, that is money. It's, the timing on that is just perfect. Um, when Lopan has has both Jack and uh, Juan, he says, um, "You know, Jack's asking questions mm-hmm. per usual." Yep. He's like, "Shut up, Mister Burton! You are not out. You are not out on this 
you're you're not on this world to get it. To get least, it. He said something about not getting it. He's like, I don't get it. Shut up. You're not on this world to get it. Um, towards the end, when Jack is driving all of our main characters out of the building, they find the truck and he backs up out of there and it's kind of like crooked or something like that. And Kim's character is like, do you know how to drive this thing? And then Jack's like, relax. And then he pulls off. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, just, it's like dialogue that doesn't even need to be there. But yeah. why are these characters talking like this? Yeah. Um, I think this is the reporter lady. That's the friend to uh, Kim Cattrall's character. She said, she's not even your type. All brains. Oh, it's like, whoa. Whoa. Sting shots fired when they're on the elevator and i guess they've and these are our main characters going to fight the villains they've just drunken they just drunk this formula to make them feel to see things that they can't see and, and do things that they normally couldn't do like catch an eye to throw it into someone's forehead um, running in a circle on a uh archway yeah that, yeah that looked real that was like, always that was always so cool yeah i didn't i didn't realize that till now that he had slit the dude's throat i always missed that before well, who slit his throat when one, when he does that little circle run, he keeps. Uh, oh, like while he's running, he's sliding? I, yeah. I, I, I didn't catch that. I either. always missed that. I yeah, was like. It's pretty fast. I was like, whoa. <laughs> it's like the third, like, this is the, I don't know, 20th time watching it. Ah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't even know. I just thought, I mean, it's hard enough just to run like that. Right? <laughs> yeah, usually you look at his feet and I'm like, oh, his blade's doing whack, too. <laughs> this man is multitasking. <laughs> I'll have what he's having. Right. When in, a, in an elevator, uh, Kurt's character, Jack, is like, I feel kind of invincible. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? I've got an optimistic outlook about this thing. He does. One of the uh, interviews, one of the guys says that that they take, they've just taken, they basically have taken a hallucinogen. <laughs> but this, this dude's like, this guy's like into drugs, like big time. He's, he's talking about weed and all kinds of stuff. He's like, yeah. no, watch. Listen to him. They've just taken a hallucinogen. The guy thinks he's invincible. Nothing can do other stuff. Like, I may have a point there. Um, I don't have any more quotes. I got two more. There's one where they're talking about like a, a war or something like that. Mm -hmm. And David's character, David Dunn's character says a quote. And then Jack responds back and says, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's to me, it's one of the most poetic lines that he, that he says. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's rather poetic. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. And of course, multiple times he says, you know, it's all in the reflexes or all about the reflexes. Right. And then at the end, uh, when that re well, the reporter lady says, aren't you even going to kiss her goodbye? And then Jack just looks at her and says, nope. Yeah. It's like, it's like, wow. But then they had a little dialogue afterwards, like as to why it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, he's not being cruel. Like, they're both being kind of realistic. True. And it's one of those things, that, again, they break the trope. They they break expectations constantly in the film. They subvert expectations. That's true. I was like, wow, okay. Yeah, because uh, at the beginning of the film, he's talking about, like, his ex-wife or something. My ex-wife. So I was like, okay. He's got a little bit of experience with the ladies here. And even at the beginning of the film, when you hear the way that uh, Egg is talking about Jack. Mm-hmm. Because they don't know where his truck is or where he's at. It's like, hmm. Like after seeing that now and then seeing the the the, the monster that's you know hanging out in the back of his truck at the end of the film, I'm like, okay, is that saying for sure that he died? Because nope. he said he because he said he fought. He he was an honorable man. He fought honorably, but he's speaking in such a past tense. I'm like, 
Oh yeah, you're right though I'm because like, is he dead that for first sure? scene is in the future, and then we go to the movie. Exactly, and the way he's like, yeah, he he fought honorably. He when he said like, he was, he, like, he says he was an honorable man. So I'm like, yeah, is he dead? Hints, hints. Because again, all the other time Jack had backup. This time he was by himself. Yeah. So, and that uh, hallucinogen is worn off. Not invincible anymore, Jack. No, with the monster in the back. Mm. Uh, what kind of trivia do you have? Because I only have a couple. Ooh, boy. Okay, I'll try to be key. <laughs> key trivia. All right, here's one. Okay, obviously, we know John Carpenter is, is always on his scoring game. He obviously, you know, scored the film as well as directed it. And that hadn't really been done on, like, a bigger budget picture since uh, Charlie Chaplin. I didn't know I didn't know that Chaplin scored his films, but apparently. Oh, interesting. Did. Yeah, I heard that in one of the interviews. Um, one of my uh, trivia, we already covered it, but it was just kind of basically talking about the marketing, like how it was done back then versus now, you know, it's more business people involved in in the marketing situation. And they kind of find the audience and then market to them, whereas then it was more like, hey, hopefully y'all catch this. Shotgun. Yeah. Uh, Carter. Carter Wong. Is that right? Is it Wong? Carter Wong. Yeah. Yeah. Carter Wong. Uh, has claustrophobia. Oh, that's why he breathes and like that. When they had him in that suit, like when it was expanding, like he was like kind of going nuts like, wow. being in there while they shot that stuff. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Is that all the trivia you got? Yeah, I don't. That, yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> We're rocking with you, Smith. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That opening scene we just mentioned where Egg is talking about Jackson Mize, that mm-hmm. was actually forced, they were forced to add that at the beginning right? to make Jack seem more heroic because he's kind of a bumbling, he's a bumbler yeah. kind of throughout. So they made them add that to make him go on the forefront, set him up as a hero. The studio forced that addition. Studios, I was getting involved. Yes, sir. The stunt actor that played the, the wild man, the one that apparently kills Jack at the end, um, did not want to walk on his tiptoes. That's why. That's why his his feet look like floppy. Oh, really? You know the the the, the, feet, the toes are kind of like curled up. Yeah, kind of weird. Well, they had made the suit so that the guy could walk on his tiptoes, so that the the toes would be flat down. Yeah, and it would look like he had kind of like a like a werewolf, or whatever, kind of that extra yeah joint. But the the guy didn't want to do that, and they would tell him, "Hey, man, you got to walk on your tiptoes." And, and the guy like, and he was like, apparently, was a brother. And he was like, "No, man, you try walking on your tiptoes all day. See how you feel." <laughs> he, just, he, just, he just wouldn't do it. And so that's why he got these floppy feet uh, oh, on that on that costume. Up. Oh, that's messed up. Yeah. So he no longer works in Hollywood. Yeah, man. It was uh yeah, they had some issues with that brother. Like he like that that scene where he jumps through the hole, like he, apparently he didn't want to do that. And they had to like and even though there's a match or something to catch him, like they had to like convince him. He was just like, Yeah, not a uh, not very this cooperative. Guy. <laughs> that's the well, cool the, one of the special effects guys recommended yeah. him like uh-huh. hey, like you know, put like stood up for him initially, and he was like, apparently the guy had said, "Why don't you have Mister Carpenter put on this damn suit and, and walk around and do this?" He's like, "Man, something right attitude to have." For real. So, oh my goodness, because there is a scene when that monster when he jumps through the hole, his feet are like kind of kicked out, like he's about to land on his back, but then he lands on his feet, like the cutscene because he's like, he's got the girl, he stole the girl, so he jumps with her. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't even match up right. There is one kind of disturbing. Like I watch like it's like a like a gag reel, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is this is like Uh-oh. like like I thought I was like, oh, why don't you keep at the gag reel? Like where evidence? It's like it's like yeah, it's incriminating. So it's like it's like the scene where like that guy, the wild man has has a you know Kim over his shoulder. I, in this, it's like a rehearsal. It's like it's a, it's a big guy, big white dude, kind of carrying somebody over his shoulder. Yeah. 
And he reaches up and like into yeah, the <laughs> nether regions. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, why is Hello? that in the bloopers? Like, that's... Hello. That doesn't fly now. Anyway, it's just, I was just like, that's... I was uncomfortable. I'm like, yeah, that's a... Uh, Somebody obviously didn't check the blooper reel, and they just mm. anyway. But that is that, and that was uh, kind of gross. All right, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, for real. Uh, okay, last bit of trivia that I'll, I'll share is that the Golden Child was slated to to was in production the same at the same time as this, and it mm-hmm. was also a film that was diving into Asian mysticism and had some martial arts going on. Oh yeah, for and sure. one so, of my favorites too from the eighties. How about nice, that? nice. And so they were kind of concerned about having to go up against that, even though it eventually got pushed back. Uh, as well as they should be. <laughs> <laughs> you should be afraid. Eddie Murphy, leading man, he was on fire. Uh, well, that was that was Eddie's time. But uh, but yeah, so that was a uh, trivia that I have. Wow, yeah, I want to cover Golden Child one day if we if it has commentary. I would not mind. It's been a long time since I've seen the Golden Child. Now it's time for filmmaker tips. Now, the fun of making a film is reflected in this movie. So they talk, you know, Kurt talks about like how he enjoys working with John Carpenter and all that. And you can actually see that on the screen, like the fun that they're having. Maybe some, maybe too much fun, you know, I don't know. But uh, it keeps the energy, I guess, like a positive energy throughout, you know, when you're having good camaraderie with your peers. Take input from your actors carpenter actually took input from his asian actors mm. uh when it, even when it came to the, the storms he asked you know which ones they wanted to play and kind of let them choose mm-hmm. uh and just on a, as a side note we happen to be recording this episode in the month of may which happens to be asian pacific american heritage month that wasn't planned yeah it's just something i happened to note and i was looking at my account i was like huh go figure because they did try to make strides in terms of making this film to one have a lot of Asian actors not in stereotypical roles, mm-hmm. which was which is awesome. And so, yeah, take input from your actors. Also, John Carpenter talks about um, he storyboards, but he says don't get locked into your storyboard because um, it won't really be helpful. You know, when you need to make adjustments and you want to have that freedom to make adjustments. Um, so it's good storyboard, but don't get locked into it. Mm. If you have an actor that's sick, you may want to shoot them first. At one point, Kurt Russell had gotten sick and had a high fever mm-hmm. on set. And so they shot his scenes first that day to give him time to rest up. Oh, smart. Um, sometimes uh, when it comes to casting, John Carpenter talks about like when, when you're casting, you know, everybody makes mistakes, you know, in casting. Um, but don't be afraid because actors are sometimes not actors, but the business people are sometimes um, afraid to not go against a type of casting. Like if you fall into, oh, you look like a heroic person or you look like this, they follow type all the time. But sometimes you can cast to go against that. Um, don't know if it necessarily worked in this case, but he was saying sometimes you do make mistakes in casting. So casting is a very, very, very important process. Yes, indeed. Uh, Kurt Russell believes that when an actor is anxious on set about the performance, he believes it's ultimately because they don't know their words and that they're unable to then adapt when the director asks them to deliver something in a different way. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of still struggling and fighting through that. We kind of heard the same thing from Oliver Stone in yeah. regards to Wall Street with, uh, yeah. with Michael Douglas fairly early on. 
So if you're an actor out there, know your lines. Dude, that's your job. Like, it, that's the thing. I've had a couple things where people didn't know their lines, and it's like, bro, like, we through, go through all of this preparation, writing the script, um, getting the scenes locked down, knowing what we're going to shoot. Getting Everybody the doing their part. Everybody doing their job. And no one show up, don't know your line. And you don't know your lines? What are you here for? Uh, here to be spoon fed? That's the worst. Spoon fed? No. And that's probably why Olive Stone went hard on, on my <laughs> Michael Douglas about that because, like, dude, you're the leading person. But, you know, rightfully so. He learned it and uh, got him an Oscar. Yes, sir. So, yes, get off script as quickly as possible. Uh, have a vision. Um, they, uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Douglas, kind of got into a debate, not a debate, but just kind of. Uh, seeing like how important is is it for a director to have a vision because there was like this thing talking about like directors don't have a vision and it's, that really comes from the writer uh, but then Kurt goes on to say that when I'm watching a John Carpenter film I know I'm watching a John Carpenter film or if I'm watching a Bob Zemeckis film like I know that it's him or I don't think he said this but me I think like a Steven Spielberg you know when it's Steven Spielberg you know when it's a Tarantino film oh, like yeah. there is a vision there however um, Kurt is talking about um, when I watch a, uh, uh, somebody that has a vision, I come, I leave like with a feeling, like it makes me feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. But when it's just a director shooting pretty pictures, right? I don't necessarily get that feeling. And uh, so have a style, you know, it's just a suggestion. On a side note, when I watched the Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness last night, it was directed by Sam Raimi mm-hmm. and Sam Raimi has a style. Yeah, you know there are there are specific things that happens. It wasn't as it's still a Marvel film, mm-hmm. but you could tell there were there were parts of that were adjusted things he would do like sometimes extreme like close ups like a fast like zoom in mm-hmm. or or just a reactionary shot. There were a couple I was like, oh, that's that's Ramy right there, <laughs> that's Ramy right there. And there's there's a couple, there's a couple of Easter eggs that are straight up like owed to him. So yeah, vision is important. Um, the scene where Kurt. Russell's in the wheelchair and it's rolling backwards. That was done mm. on a set that was designed and, and kind of slanted. It was level, but it looked like it was slanted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were able to maintain control. They tricked me on that because it sure enough looks like he's falling back down. Um, but yeah, the he's falling backwards in a wheelchair into a well. That's where his wheelchair is falling backwards into. But apparently it's just a flat surface. But the way they built the set, it looks like it's going down. Like, man, that looks good, too. For real? Yeah, like, it's very convincing. Also, one of my last tips is uh, the essentials of storytelling is the same. Kurt Douglas talks about this. Kurt Russell talks about why well, I call him Kurt Douglas. Because we had Kurt, uh, Michael Douglas' dad. Oh, my brain. Um, <laughs> so, Kurt Russell, uh, he says the essentials of storytelling are all the same. He's, so, basically, just learn the craft. And then you can kind of bend the rules once you know the rules of the craft. Know your lines first, you know. Yes. Uh, my last tip um, is that the FX supervisor, Steve Johnson, he had to argue with Carpenter about effects, but Steve did not know the tone of the film at that time. So, mm. you know, get in and, and, and uh, try to find out the tone if you don't know it. So uh, you can know how to... Uh, Approach your director. Yes, indeed. Both your director tell people about the tone. <laughs> yeah, because apparently he didn't tell the stunt people, and then, yeah, that can be that could be interesting. I don't know. But it, it made for an interesting and fun film. It did. It did. Um, 
what do we get? What, what uh, film are we diving into next time? Next time we will be diving in to the city of New York. Uh oh. With well, where we will attempt to escape. It is escape from New York. John Carpenter's okay. Escape from New York. Okay, we're going to stay in the world, John Carpenter. We're going to stay in the 80s. 80s, baby. So, um, and where can everybody listen to this podcast? Where can they catch us? Facebook.com forward slash filmmaker commentary. You can also like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes. We would love to hear from you. If you are a listener of filmmaker commentary, go ahead and give us a shout. Give us a five-star review, if you would, yes. on iTunes so people can find us. Mm-hmm. Love to connect with them on Twitter. He is at Reggie Titus. I am at KCG Smith 32. And we are on the gram at Filmmaker Commentary. He is on the gram at Reginald Titus Jr. That's JR. And I'm at KCG Smith 32. Until next time, peace, respect. <laughs>